How we doing, guys? Welcome back to The Top Step. My name is Ryan Roland-Smith. Now, again, I started this off last episode. Big welcome to all our new listeners from all over the place, from Canada, Australia, here in Seattle, and all across the US. Big welcome. Thanks for coming. Make sure you tell your friends about this amazing podcast. Now, in this episode, I have a guy who has played 11 years in the NFL, he is an icon here in Seattle. He's been two Super Bowls and also fellow American Ninja Warrior, Mr. John Ryan. Now, I started this podcast and called it The Top Step because some of my favorite memories in the big leagues were standing on the top step of that dugout with teammates hearing their story and being inspired by their journey. And for John Ryan, I seriously had no idea where to start. I mean, this guy went from living in a Motel 6 in Phoenix, trying to get a crack into the NFL. Uh, appeared on American Ninja Warrior, but I guess, hey, anyone can do that these days. They take any of us Muppets up there on that stage. To his relationship with his stand-up comedian wife, Sarah Colonna, owning a baseball team, he has done it all. This was a guy that a lot of people have told me here in Seattle, hey man, you need to meet John, you need to go have a beer, and he finally got a chance, even though it was over Zoom, to sit down and hash it out. A lot of fun. Now, if you're enjoying these conversations, these journeys from all my guests, please click that subscribe button below. And if you have a second, give me a review either on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to this podcast. And go check out www.thetopstep.com for all the episodes and videos. And by the way, this episode's also available to watch on YouTube. I'll put it up in a couple days. And there'll also be a lot of clips from this conversation with John Ryan. All right, now sit back, relax, run those headphones, enjoy this episode as John Ryan joins me on the top step. No matter what happens, Ryan Roland Smith has something to tell his grandkids right here. First appearance of the big leagues. <laughs> Thanks to Hall of Famer. Famer. <laughs> Especially if he strikes them out. Here comes the one-two pitch to Junior now. The breaking ball, he struck him out. Yeah, that will be a story for the rest of his life <laughs> as he strikes out Ken Griffey Jr. And the inning is over. But what an inning it was. As... All right, John. Welcome, buddy. Hey, thanks for having me on. Of course, dude. Hey, it's, I mean, we're talking right before we got on. It's good to finally meet you. I feel like there's been multiple times yeah, even back when I was when I was pitching, when I when I got done, a bunch of people are like, yeah, have you ever met John Ryan? Or, you guys haven't met yet, so I feel like the, the, this is the first time. Dude, and it's, it sucks. It's over Zoom, but hey, whatever. Hey, well, it's nice to meet you, man. Yeah, I yeah. feel like our, our careers have kind of uh, crossed a couple of times. We just never uh, never yeah. got to meet. Yeah. Now, one one of those mutual friends we have in particular, I want to talk about him. Give him a big shout out right off the bat, in case he's listening and he's only got five minutes to spare. Dave Reese, dude. So, I, so just to explain to people, Dave Reese is a guy who I um, I work with over at Root Sports, and um, and he's a good good buddy of yours. Uh, yeah. he, he likes to tell me that a lot. I feel like any story he dives into has something to do with you. He's like, oh yeah, well, John. You know, I don't know what his nickname is for you, but oh yeah, well John did this, or John did that. I'm like, yeah, man, like he's a huge fan of yours, dude. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, first of all, Dave is definitely listening right now. Uh, <laughs> there's, no, there's no doubt about it. And Dave's a Dave's a crazy guy, man. We uh, we met through the Seahawks when he was working for uh, I think he was working for Root, 
and uh, just kind of he's always in the locker room. We just you know started talking about you know our background. He's kind of has a bit of a Canadian background as well as uh, I was uh, born and raised in Canada, and it kind of led to us having a few beers together, and it was like instantly like uh, it was like stepbrothers. You know, we just became best friends like that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because because sometimes you know with, with him, yeah, you know, he's talking about you that much. He's like, "Oh, look at this photo." I'm like, "Is this someone you've hung out with once, but you're claiming you guys are best buddies?" But it's it's legit. You know? yeah, <laughs> he has no, enough he, stories to back yeah. it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, as we say in Canada, he's a real beauty. So yeah, uh, no, he he's uh, he's one of those guys that you meet along the way, and you just kind of you never will uh, lose touch with him. Yeah, that, that's a good point. And there's been days where I've, where I've rolled into you know if he's at the studio or wherever, and and um, I'm just in, you know, kind of like a, you know, half-ass mood or something like that. And then he's at, he's at the door, and I'll say something that's not even remotely funny, but he just gives that big laugh. It's like, oh, thank you. <laughs> it like pads your confidence, you know. I was like, I was like, you think you're funny and you're yeah. charming. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, we would walk around. We would walk around the um, the studio, me and a couple of the other guys, and the, the the what we're trying to do is is see who could get the biggest Dave Reese laugh. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's yeah. how it was. He's the man, dude. So, again, big shout out to him. But obviously, you know, Mariners, um, you know, you're always right there down down the front. You're, obviously, you're on a baseball team. I want to get into that um, in a second. But I, I honestly do. I don't know where to start, man. You've done it all. It's like you, you've, you know, and another time you've names come up a lot too is, is during American Ninja Warrior, which you've done. So I actually reached out to you. And we, again, we'd never met. I got a chance to do that last year on, on sort of short notice. And it's funny, man. And I've got to say thank you because uh, there I am. I'm a, like a week away from doing it. Clueless, right? I'm like, how am I going to do this? And I'm just getting all kinds of information about, you know, do this, do that. And then, matter of fact, Dave said, hey, reach out to John. He's done it. Um, and your advice, dude, was on point. You know what I mean? So oh, good. Uh, it, 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 by far, just like the, the you, you even talked about, you know, the lighting you know, standing up there and, and how they sort of, you know, rush you up. I mean, you, you gave me so many things that I was like, oh, okay, boom, boom, boom. As opposed to the whole believe in yourself and right. this grip strength. <laughs> it's, so, it's so crazy. I mentioned that the night of the event, you're in there, you're, they wait till it's dark and then you're up on the top and they just call your number out of nowhere. Yeah. Like I was number like 70 or something and they wanted like me to go right away. So I was like the fourth or fifth person to go and all of a sudden like I'm just, like taking off my sweats when I'm on the course and you get up there and it's just like, it's like a gauntlet. You just see lights all the way down. It's like, you've been on a mound in front of 50,000 people. I played in the Super Bowl, but I felt so nervous in that moment yeah. that it felt, it felt so uncomfortable. Yeah. Oh, dude. My, it, my, my performance showed that. <laughs> oh, hey, well, speaking of, okay. So when I, when I signed up for it and said, oh, I'm going to do it and I'll, I'll put something out on, um, on Twitter and Instagram, your name just, and I didn't realize you had done it. So your name kept popping up. Oh, John Ryan got to the third obstacle, third obstacle. So I'm thinking to myself, it's like, all right, okay. He's in really good shape because I found your video. And I'm like, oh man, he looks like he's shredded. Looks like he's ready to roll. <laughs> Here I I'm going to drop about, you know, a good 5% body fat and, and shrink a couple of inches to do this. Not making excuses. But I'm like, I, I saw you, dude. And you're like laser focused. And you got to that third obstacle and they were tough. And I was like, oh man, there is no way I'm getting that far in this thing. Yeah. How, how'd you end up doing I'll show you the video privately. No one's listening to this anyway. No, I'm kidding. No, I, the second obstacle fell. Um, I'll try and I'll try it's so, and. It's so funny because like the night you're there, like what they show on TV is like I don't know, like maybe 
20 or maybe 15 percent of the people that are actually doing it yeah and like everyone's like once an episode they'll, they'll show someone like falling off on the first obstacle and i'm like no like half the people there fell off on the first <laughs> obstacle like i felt pretty good at the time i felt pretty good getting to the third yeah. obstacle but then you see on tv and they only show the people that go far for the most part and you're like oh man but it was uh it's one of those things when i got there and i kind of saw the guys i was going against and like what what those guys looked like like yeah. little guys short guys hey. they were just like crazy grip strength i'm like i'm, I'm not going very far and, and and one thing they don't you know you, people who are sitting at home you don't know what the course is until you basically rock up you know for the walkthrough and that's it i mean i got there i got there the day before and doing all these promo videos i'm sitting there going do i really want to do these like cheesy <laughs> videos like hero whatever they are of me like standing there with my arms falling like oh this is gonna be brutal and i had like a, i sneaked in we're in the tacoma dome so i was indoors so i snuck in. i was like what is that thing what is that thing but the day of you don't know until the day of no yeah and they just give you a quick like 10 minute walkthrough but i was yeah. like if i could have practiced a few times it, it would have been a different story yeah. you know I, like if i could have, like i went out on the tilted table and I was like, man, if I could have just like a couple more tries of that, I think I would have been yeah. good. But it's just like one shot deal, all or nothing. How, how long did you have to get ready for it? Um, let me see. I think about about a month, maybe. Okay. Yeah, so you know, not long. I, Knowing you, no, I was, the time needed. Yeah, I was, already tra- I was already trained for football. I had to train for football. So I, like, I, I found a guy here in LA who had like, a little course in his backyard um it was one of those courses like if you fell off an obstacle you had to do like a tetanus shot like it was it was rough <laughs> <laughs> it was like put together with like wood and old like mattress and stuff but it's good just like practice like one afternoon with these guys but that's really the only opportunity i really got to, to really work with the guys and like work on that like a, a course that was kind of maybe what we were going to see on the, the day yeah. of that's so funny because i was in the backyard too um with a guy liam who was like a you know a ninja he'd been to vegas or whatever and, and he had this whole setup this guy like dedicates his whole house basically his whole life to, to american ninja warrior and the guy who i mean these guys people don't realize either even the, like the studs like the, the the celebrity ninjas still have to submit a video every year like a hype yeah. video and the whole thing but his whole back shed and he bought this house to to build like a wall and everything else. But he's got this back shed. And he's got all these like little grip strength things, and it's a tiny shed. So here I am with my you know my fat ass like hanging off the thing. And first of all, my grip strength sucked, and I'm like falling off, and it, like the, the drops like this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, and the thing is, he's like, oh, when do we get this on video? You know, I'm like, no chance. The video will do this zero justice. I'm, there's no way I'm doing this. Yeah, it's funny to say because some of these guys, they train all year round. They build these courses, and some of them don't even make it onto the show. And then some of the guys that do make it on, they'll, a lot of them will go out and like the set, like, like we did, the second or third obstacle. Yeah. Like oh. my wife and I and my buddies, we just went across the street and grabbed a beer when I was done. It was like, wasn't a big deal. I had a good time. But these guys yeah. train all year. Yeah. Sometimes their moments like 30 seconds long, and I'm like, oh, I feel so bad for them. I they know. Take it so seriously. And, it's, a, it's cool to watch when they are that good, but it's devastating when they go out. I know, man. And, and you said it too. You're in that back room. There's like, you know, there was like 80 guys, 80 contestants, um, you know, try, trying to do this thing. And you said they've dedicated the whole life. They're in ridiculous shape. They're laser focused. I'm sitting there. I felt bad because I kind of got an in because the, the guy who was running the show was like, oh, we want a baseball player. And I yeah. feel bad because, you know, obviously people miss out because they've dedicated so much time to do it. And like you said, dude, they just one slip and you're done. It's like, oh, that's because they changed the format a little bit. How did you how did you get into it? Did someone ask you to do it? Uh, the, the producers reached out to me and uh, I, I didn't even watch the show before. They re- reached out to me 
and I watched the show and I was like, hell no. <laughs> I called back, I'm like, I'm not doing this. And so a year later, this happened like around the, the Super Bowl, the first time we were in it. A year later, they called me back again. And I was like, man, like, they're going to stop calling. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. So I went. And like, but it's the same thing, you know. I felt uh, bad almost taking the spot. But, you know, they, they want uh, like a mismatch of people. They want the pro yeah. athletes and they want the school teachers from the Midwest. And then they want the actual warriors that are, are great at it. Yeah, I think you're, you're built for it too in, in a sense of you have that, you know, that self-deprecating humor about you and you can make fun of yourself. I think you have to have that. If you're a situation, again, you're a pro athlete. So people are saying, well, no, hold on a second. He's a professional athlete. But the guys are half your size doing it. Um, but you're, if, if you are someone who takes themselves way, way too seriously, drop on that first obstacle and they make a complete fool out of you or, or try and prove a point that pro athletes, you know, are just like everyone else, then you're going to be screwed. That, and that's how I took them out. I had to embrace... You know, if I look like an, and I said to, to JD Pruis was the guy producing it. I don't know if he was the same guy who reached out to you or not, That's but I, I said to him, I said, look, don't make me look like an idiot, but I'm, I'm happy if I look like an idiot to embrace it. Right. And you know, so, I mean, did you, when it was all said and done, cause they can cut it, they can edit it however they want. Really? Um, yeah. did, did you walk away thinking, okay, I'm just going to embrace this, you know, even before or after it and I can make a fool of myself and I'm okay with that. Totally. Yeah. Totally. You know, I wanted, I wanted to like not totally embarrass myself. Like I really wanted to get past the first obstacle. <laughs> that, that was, that was <laughs> exactly. basically my goal. Yeah. I was like, after that, now it's just like, oh, anyone can slip and fall or something can happen. So of like, but that was my concern too. I'm like, you guys aren't going to make me look like, like an idiot, right? Like you're not going <laughs> to embarrass me. Like I, I, as you said, I, like, I, I don't take myself too seriously. But at the same time, I don't want to get up there and be like, yeah pro athlete and he falls off what a loser yeah, yeah exactly. you know, i didn't want that either but uh it, i actually to be honest with you i never even watched it back right yeah uh, right. the tv version so uh, i don't know how i was really portrayed but it sounded like uh people liked it so it's yeah man it's it's funny like i said I, I you know felt i fell on the second obstacle got done with it and then like it didn't come out for months obviously and then i had been i'd been in los angeles i hadn't been back to to a Mariners game or worked a game or anything because I was broadcasting at that point um, on the pre and post game show. And I got back to the field and this was like a week after it, it, it aired. So all the, you know, the ushers and people I knew were like, oh, so you're an American Ninja Warrior. Like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it's crazy. Like after that came out, like I've been, at the time I've been playing pro football for 13 years, I think 13 or whatever, how many years. Uh, I'd been on a couple TV shows. I'd done a few things, but nothing got me the attention that being on American Ninja Warrior did. Like people would come up to me in the street and recognize me. I was like, I also play football, but <laughs> yeah, I've also been to two Super Bowls. He's like the American Ninja Warrior guy, like, I'll take it. it just so, shows, like, so how did the how did the Seahawks feel about you doing it? Um, it was one of those things that. Uh, you know, just do it and then beg for forgiveness if they get mad at me. Really? Uh, and then, yeah. And so I just, I didn't even ask. I just did it. And then uh, my first day back in the uh, off season, that the very first thing we did is the whole team watched like my clip from the show. No way. So I was like, okay, they can't, they can't be too mad at me. But uh, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where I was like, I'm just gonna do it and hope for the best. And and they were fine with it. They're fine with it. Yeah. What would have happened if you had? Um, yeah, just done some little minor knee injury or something like that. Oh, I don't even want to. <laughs> yeah, think want about to it. I mean, it would have been so bad. It would have been oh, so bad. I don't even want to think about it. You know, I, I didn't. I just like didn't even let that enter my mind because I right. didn't want that to uh, 
to happen. What uh, at what point? How far into your career was that that you done? You did the Ninja Warrior? Uh, it was in uh, 2015, so it was five years ago. So it would have been about 12, 13 years into my okay. career. So it wasn't like yeah, you know, year number two, year number three, or something no, like that. No, no, it was. It was uh, well, I don't want to stand near the end because I feel like I'm still going right now. But it was yeah. like well into my career. Right, gotcha. Hey, and were you we with your wife at that point? Uh, we were uh, together. We just got engaged. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Was she a big supporter of things like that? Because I feel like with you and and you know athletes, some some of them they identify. Oh, look, I'm a football player, right? Or I'm a baseball player, and that's it. Like, there's really nothing, you know, on the side when it comes to, you know, doing Ninja Warrior or doing all the other things that you you've done in your career. Was that something that she's like, hey, go for it? Like, you know, do, do these uh, no. kind of things. Not at first. Like, she'd usually go for it for all these other, you know, little things that I like to do uh, aside from my, my main career of football. But yeah. for American Ninja Warrior, I was like, you know, they just reached out to me. I think I'm going to do it. She was kind of like, why? <laughs> like, are you going to win? Yeah. Like, are you going to win? I'm like, no, I, will, I, won't, I won't come close to finishing the first course, but it'll be, like, really cool. She's just like, she couldn't get it at first. Then I kind of explained yeah. to her, and the night of, she saw it, and we had, like, a bunch of our friends there. And she, she loved it. She thought it was really cool. But at first, she didn't quite get it why I would be doing something that I knew I wasn't going to finish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that's a good point. How did you guys meet, you and your wife? We met on uh, Twitter. No she's way. A, she's an actress and a comedian. And yeah. she used to be on the show uh, very regularly called Chelsea Lately. Yeah. It was like a, a late night uh, show on E. And she was a regular on there. She's also a writer on there. And I just saw her on TV one night. And I had you know, a crush on her. And uh, it was during our, our Super Bowl week. I uh, had, there was kind of a mutual friend was on the sideline. I asked if he had put in a good word for me. Uh, his name is Ross Matthews. And uh, he did. And we kind of just started flirting back and forth on Twitter. It's kind of an innocent thing. And then, as the kids say, I slid into her DM. And after the Super Bowl, it was actually it was one of the greatest lines of my, my dating career. She's like, well, I was like, well, I'd like to come to L.A. and take you on a date. But I'm, I'm playing in the Super Bowl this weekend. I'm a little busy. <laughs> But when after the Super Bowl is over, I'd love to take you on a first date. Which, I mean, that's a pretty good line, you know. Oh, like, big not, time, dude. Uh, you Absolutely. Know, I, not many guys can drop that, you know. Oh, yeah. Then, you, you know, <laughs> just went, to, uh, went to L.A. at the end of uh, uh, February, and it was just like love at first sight, and we were engaged 10 months later. Did you feel like you needed, because obviously, you know, and, and I, I know who she is. You don't have to tell me who she is. You know, I obviously know who she is and, and everything else. Did you feel like you had to have that, in your, not in your back pocket, but that, that, that extra push of saying, hey, I'm, I'm actually playing in the Super Bowl, playing the NFL. It did, I mean, it didn't hurt. I think that, you know, it didn't hurt that, you know, I was somewhat of a public figure, like somewhat of yeah. in, in the, a little bit of notoriety to be like, hey, this just isn't some like, because, I mean, women get creeps all the time on the internet yeah. trying to DM them and stuff. So to have a little bit of clout and, uh, you know, kind of have a little bit of leverage, <laughs> leverage I guess you'd say, with that, that kind of helps. Did you feel like, you know, with her, she's a stand-up comedian. Do you feel like in the early days, obviously you guys have been together for a long time now, so it's a little bit different. But did you feel like you had, you're, you're, you had to be funny right off the bat? Like you had to be a situation where, like, you know, my, I can't be lame here sitting at dinner or those first couple dates. Yeah. No, for the first couple of days, for sure, I was like, like, how, like, do I have to, like, come prepared with, like, one-liners and jokes and stuff? And then I, I realized very quickly that it was just very comfortable together and it wasn't like that. But, yeah, for a while, I was like, man, like, she's going to think I'm 
so lame and it's like I don't have <laughs> I don't have any comedic skills to me but it, it wasn't like that as it turned out luckily and the thing is too you mentioned Chelsea lately she's on a show like that where it's like if if you are lame if you're in that sort of that sort of pool of you know comedy if you are someone who's lame well then you're just going to get shot out right away you know what I mean oh. Yeah, yeah, you have you have no hope of survival, you know, especially with like a group of comedians, you know, yeah. uh, is I, if you can't hold your hold your own weight, you're gonna get uh, pushed around pretty quickly. <laughs> did, and did you, um, you know, from from those early days, like you know, when you met her and everything else, you guys have got obviously two careers that sort of do this in a sense. I mean, early days, it's kind of the novelty's there, where it's you know, I'm I'm dating this celebrity and, and you know for her she's dating a you know nfl player and and you guys are both names and it, it's it's all well and good but it has to be it has to come a time where someone has to kind of take a back seat or sacrifice or or geographically I, they can't be there for you or, or vice versa right uh you know i think we've always been very very supportive of each other uh we've lived apart almost you know for at least Half of half of every year that we've been together, you know, she has right. to stay here in LA for for her career, for auditions and shows and whatnot. And uh, she was in Atlanta for a while when she was uh, shooting her last Netflix show. And I was in Seattle, and now I'm in, I'm in Canada for half the year. So it's like a lot of uh, a lot of trust and just a lot of uh, communication and just uh, you know, it's something that we that's how we started off. So it's nothing new, and uh, it, it's it's just it's worked for us and it doesn't uh, yeah. doesn't really bother us being apart like that. Do you like living in LA? Obviously, you're there because you know. She, where is she from originally? Ar- uh, Arkansas. Arkansas. Okay, so you obviously you guys are there because you know. She, obviously, for her career, do you like LA? You know what? I, I absolutely love it. When I first moved here, I thought I was going to hate it. You know, yeah. I thought it was kind of like a, a compromise moving here because um, I, I loved I love Seattle so much and I loved the the people there, but I didn't I didn't love the winters. Yeah. But uh, the weather here is great. The one thing that was absolutely crazy here is the the traffic i i, I can't stand the traffic right. i was here for about a year and i just i just i just sold my car i'm like i i'm gonna walk right. or take like one of those little motorized scooters <laughs> yeah. everywhere i go or uber and that made my life a lot easier because i just i can't stand the being stuck in traffic and, and we're lucky enough to be in a neighborhood where there's there's bars and restaurants and yeah uh stuff like that within like a block two blocks away yeah I, I lived in la my wife lived in la for well over 10 years um and she was an actress uh down there and we only just moved back here to 2018 but i was always so you know i grew up in australia i grew up you know in a coastal town <clears throat> right on the beach and everyone's like well there's beaches in la i'm like i'm sorry they don't even compare to where i grew up and that's why oh, i'm asking yeah. because you know to, you know to me you seem like the kind of guy that la everyone to and again, look, I, I look at it through a different lens than you do, obviously. And, it, and my wife is probably shaking her head if she's listening to this right now. But, you know, she's like, LA, this, there's a reason everyone moves here. And I was like, I can't stand this place. It took me a good three years. And I just, everyone who walked past me on the street, I was just like shoulder bumping. And I'm like, I can't stand the people here, dude. Because everyone was taking themselves so seriously. Oh, definitely. Yeah, like when I, when I first started moving here, I, was, I worked out at uh, Equinox. Yeah, which yeah. is like the juiciest gym in the on Sunset, the one on Sunset, uh, the one on Ventura. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, and so it was just like that. That that's when I was like, like that. I'm like, I can't handle these people. <laughs> like, like it was just it was awful. And now we kind of live in this little neighborhood that you know we're kind of away from that Sunset Strip and away right. from uh, some of that Hollywood type yeah. uh, type stuff. And so. Uh, I love it. It's just, it's more like a small neighborhood, and yeah. it's not you can't avoid what you were talking about. Those type of people that are 
all moved to LA for one reason. That's oh, yeah. sell. Yeah. Oh man. And, and look, I get it. I, like, don't get me wrong. It's it, the weather's amazing and everything else, but you mentioned Equinox it was the, well, the one on sunset. Cause we lived, we lived right near the Chateau Marmont there in West Hollywood. Yep. And, um, and so I'd walk up there near the, near the comedy store, actually. I'm sure you spent oh, yeah. plenty yep. of time there. Um, but there's a little cafe, cafe primo right at the front of, right at the front of the Equinox. And it was good. Cause it had like Australian, like I'm a big, I love coffee. Right. Yeah. And it tasted like what we have back in Australia. And I love this place, but it was right next to that, this Equinox. And it was just such a scene every day walking in there. And it's just it's like right in the little courtyard of like the soul cycle yeah. and the Equinox. Exactly. Yeah, so just like <laughs> the convergence of douchebaggery. Yeah. Exactly. And, and it didn't matter if you were, you know, if you worked at a grocery store and you're trying to pursue, you know, some acting career or some, you know, music careers whatever which is awesome like don't, don't get me wrong i'm all about that for sure or, or or if you you know um dave navarro used to hang out there it didn't matter if you either way it was just this thing where whatever i'm doing is awesome right it's amazing stay out of my way it just kind of felt like i was you know for me i, I felt like i was that kid who i felt like i was back in high school you know what i'm saying whereas right. i was out of the popular crew because i was i don't know man it, it just it drove me insane but looking back now i'm like oh, i can i get it why people love it and i'm sure you know obviously you look at it through a different lens you know what i mean so, yeah no i definitely see where you're coming from with all that <laughs> stuff there is areas that uh i definitely try to avoid and i kind of stick to my own little neighborhood and uh well now i really stick to my neighborhood <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's, uh, there's definitely pockets that you don't really want to get into around here. What, um, and you've done some stand up, right? Oh man, I've done it, uh, maybe 10 times just, just to open for my wife. Always, really? always in like, always in like Tacoma, Seattle, every, all, like all like very much in the Washington Pacific okay. Northwest area. Um, cause I know my audience, <laughs> you know, I know my audience there. I know the, the people that I'm talking to know who I am. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, it, it was fun doing it. For the, I'll never do it beyond that. Like, I'm, I'm not going on an open night mic, open mic night in like down on the Sunset Strip. I'll get destroyed. <laughs> I'd get absolutely destroyed. Right. Like, it'd be awful. But I just, I, I thought it was fun doing it for her. And, did, you, uh, did you have your go-to routine? I had it, I had it, uh, I had like, a, you know, a good five or 10 minutes that was, uh, you know, kind of written. I kind of did it myself because I wanted, she kind of wanted to be surprised too. So I didn't tell her what I was doing. I kind of yeah. did it myself and, uh, it actually worked out fairly well. But as I said, like if I were to go and do the same act in the Midwest or anywhere, if people didn't know me, I'd just get destroyed. What, what, what were some of your, what were some of your big go-tos? You know, if the crowd was starting to simmer, simmer down a little bit and you're like, oh man, I gotta, I gotta hit him with this. Well, the the good thing is, is I had, I had like, uh, it was about seven, I guess it was probably about seven or eight minutes. And it was like, if I, if I start to like something happened that I had to stray off there, I'll just be screwed. I had my seven minutes and I was going right <laughs> through. Like, loved it or they hated it. They're getting that same seven minutes, no matter what. There was no, there was no strain off course. They didn't have any extra material. It, uh, I mean, but, you know, up here in the Northwest, I feel like you could just get up and tell stories and people would just be like this, like just, you know what I mean? So you do, yeah. you know, and, and, and not, I mean, not again, man, there's no way I could do stand up. So not taking anything away from you, but it's one of those things. And, and I wanted to ask you that. Cause I was like, man, is he like gone to the comedy store on sunset and his wife's like coaching him or, what, you know, I didn't know yeah, if you're no, taking it to that no. level. Hell no. I have a, I have no desire to ever do it again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did it over Christmas when she was performing Tacoma. I, or I, uh, I uh, 
did did the beginning for her, but uh, the hosting thing for her. But I have no desire to do it beyond that. But it, at the same time, it was a cool experience to be able to say to say I did it and I actually got a few laughs. Does your wife still do like go to the comedy store and like work on material and and all that kind of stuff? No, she likes to work all that out uh, on the road. You yeah, know, okay. she does a lot of. Uh, well, she was doing a lot of road uh, shows. Uh, you know, a couple couple weekends a month. And uh, she kind of likes to work it on the road. She kind of feels like LA is home, so she doesn't like to work when she's at home. Gotcha. Uh, kind of how she feels. And a lot of those uh, stand-up clubs uh, in LA, are like there's a real like boys' club to them, where it, it's right. tough for a female to really, <laughs> unless you're in with that boys' club, to get to get uh, too much stage time or whatnot. But uh, I think that this, this at the same time, this is where she started. You yeah. Know, this is where she kind of uh, earned her stripes in, in LA, which is a tough place to uh, oh, yeah. do comedy because it's, it's hard just to get on stage. Like she was saying that she would get like five minutes a night yeah. when she's trying to work out stuff uh, when, when she was coming up in her younger days. And that's, that's tough to really work out too much material when in five minutes. When did she move out there? Uh, she moved out right after graduation. Uh, I think she graduated from college when she was like 21. So she's been here for, you know, over 20 years now. Right. Yeah. So 20 years ago, and again, you know, obviously, you know, female comedians and you've got Netflix, which is just like putting them on, on a pedestal, like, you know, with yep. you and everything else. But man, 20 years ago, that would have been tough. And you mentioned the boys club situation with these, because yeah. it, it's hard to get that five minutes of places like obviously like the comedy store or, or all these other places for sure. Yeah. Yeah. She said it was tough, you know, and then it'd be like, you know, you get your five minutes and then at the end of every, you know, get 10 comics doing five minutes each and then Chris Rock would come up and do a half hour. So, you know, there's a whole <laughs> audience is waiting for, waiting yeah. for Chris Rock and there's like, you know, white girl get off stage or, you know, whatever this guy, that guy get out. Like, we're just waiting for Chris Rock. Yeah. Like we're, we don't want uh, anyone else. I'll admit, man. I mean, we, we used to go to the comedy store all the time and I remember I was a big Bill Burr fan. He's like my favorite comedian. Yeah. Like everyone else. I feel like everyone loves him, but I remember I'd, I'd, I'd never seen him live and then he just rolled in and we're at the comedy store and this is how I was naive back then because, you know, I'm expecting like the whole hour special and he's just up there, you know, talking to the crowd and like kind of, you know, working things out. I didn't understand the whole working things out part of it yeah. that comedians have to do. They can't just do it in their living room. They have to figure it out with the crowd. But yeah, and that's, I'm like, that's what's interesting me. You go into a place like the, the uh, comic store, the, whatever place you go to um in la it's like there's these comics that you you think it's just like 60 minutes just happens where it's like they work to get 60 minutes they have to work that out for like a year i know and sometimes we watch them live it's like they're not that funny but <laughs> because they're trying to work through something where it's like it might sound really funny when you're in the shower but then when you're on stage in front of yeah. uh, a couple hundred people it just doesn't land yeah and, and then you and then you get that bachelor party sitting in the front row like oh that sucked you know what i mean or something like yeah. that where yeah. So again, but, but yeah, obviously I figured out that he, Bill Burr is just up there basically getting, you know, getting his reps in. Do you, does your wife ever do a routine or, you know, jokes and you're just secretly thinking, I don't really find that that funny. No, because she really, she does most things from uh, like personal experience. It, it, it's all like, it's storytelling, you know, she tells stories of, of, of her life. So she doesn't have like quick one-liners or she's not that style of comic. And so I think I, I, I think it's, everything I've heard her say, I'm not just saying, it's been very funny. And yeah. I think it's, for me, it's almost even funnier because a lot of times she talks about things that I've, I was there and actually experienced the real life event with her. Right. So it's, it's kind of cool to see how that evolves and becomes a joke and then it's put on stage. Yeah. You ever been in the crowd when she's just, you know, bombed or it's just crickets and you're like, no, oh. I, think, I think she's kind of established the point now when she yeah. goes to these 
these theaters or these comedies places that everyone's there to watch her. Yeah. You know, it's, it's very rarely it's just people are just like, oh, let's just go see what's going on at the whatever polarities or funny yeah. bone or whatever. It's people are like, oh, I want to go see Sarah Colonna. Gotcha. So people always ask about hecklers and stuff. And I, I've honestly have never seen like a heckler at any of her shows. And I've seen her a few hundred times. It's uh, every once in a while you have like, you know, pretty drunk people that get a little loud. But yeah. I've never seen a heckler or anything. Yeah, speaking of it, so, so okay, so I was, I was going to ask you that too. So there hasn't been some dude heckling and you're sitting in the front row about just gritting your teeth, just thinking, hey, like, I'm about to rip you out of that chair. That's got to no, be tough. I, too. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty protective of my wife. <laughs> we got, we're kind of pretty protective of each other. And if someone was, was like that, I'd have a pretty hard time not going and saying something to them, yeah. to be honest. <laughs> Now, speaking of, speaking of life stories, now, getting into you as a kid, you grew, obviously grew up in Canada, and this is why I had to ask you about the LA thing, because you grew up in somewhere, you grew up in a place which is far from that LA scene we're talking about, obviously. Yeah, yeah. yeah and then the polar opposite of LA scene. Yeah. And, so is, and is it true that with the Canadian Football League, when you grew up as a kid, you were like, man, I just want to play in the CFL. It was never, it was never any inkling as a kid. Um, that you were thinking, man, I want to play in the NFL. The NFL didn't have that kind of reach for you as a kid. I think, I think growing up, um, it was my. I, I watched like Canadian Football League. Uh, we had season tickets my whole life. My dad took me to games since I was born. You know, we we went to every every game, and so just having that in my hometown, that was kind of my dream. And then you know, as I got older, I kind of realized that like the NFL was the the top league in the world, and that's where that, that kind of became my new goal. But it seemed like something that was so out of reach, something so far fetched. You know, where where I'm from, it's a big football community, but no one had ever made it to the NFL right. before me, or no one's ever made it after me. It just it, it seemed so far out fetched and so far out there that I never thought it was possible. So it was still my kind of my always my goal to make it to the CFL. And then you know, once I got there, I was like, hey, maybe this can go on to the next level. And lucky enough, it did. What about in high school, though? Were you trying to pursue American, you know, big football programs in the States? Uh, I mean, if they came knocking, I wasn't going to turn them away. But yeah. I literally – I got I got such little amount of attention playing high school football in terms of <laughs> – from, from colleges. I didn't have one American college interested. Really? Uh, and at the time, I don't remember even – sending away tape or anything. I remember at the time, like, some guys would get, like, those big VHS tapes and put their highlights on and send them off. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't think I ever even did that, you know. I was just my, – my plan was to play Canadian college football, and uh, I didn't even get that much attention from Canadian colleges. But luckily, my hometown uh, university wanted me, and I went there. So, okay. So, that always seems to be the, the um, yeah, the narrative. And I was the same way, man. I was never a stud. I, I couldn't make a – and we're talking baseball in Australia. Dude. No one cares about baseball in Australia, I tell you yeah. right now. But I'm 14, 15. I'm getting cut from my rep team, you know, my, my Newcastle team. But everyone just expects, and even coming into this, um, I'm expecting, you know, for you, you just used to just kick the, kick the crap out of it and you used to be the dude. Um, but it's amazing. So even at that point, you even had a tough time getting into schools and, and getting interest in everything else. Even at that at that age, yeah, and I think especially this is you know 20, 20 years ago. I don't think a lot of colleges really paid that much attention to to kickers or punters. Yeah. You know, they just kind of got what they got. So I didn't get a lot of attention because I I'd been kicking my punting my whole life. Like I started when I was like seven years old. You know, when I was eleven, my dad had like a kicking net in our front yard that I kicked into. So right. it's kind of a, a big part of my life since I was seven, and it's just one of those things that I just 
didn't really get really noticed until I got into my second or third year of uh, university ball. Was your dad, he was just a massive football fan? He, he didn't have a football background or anything? No, he, he didn't at all. He was just, uh, he was basically interested in whatever we, my, I grew up with the younger brother, uh, Tiller sisters, but my dad was interested in whatever my brother and I were interested in. Right, you know, gotcha. like we, we love football, so he was going to do anything, provide whatever he could to help us be as, as good as we could. It's just, he didn't have a big football background. He just was that supportive. So you had kicking net even at that age, because usually baseball, everyone plays shortstop and then they become a pitcher, they become a catcher, they become right. right. play. So it wasn't a situation you were, you know, playing QB or something and then you sort of morphed into being into well, kicking. It, it was something from even that age. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I love football so much as a kid still do to this day. And uh, as a kid, I played running back and I played, played receiver. Uh, I was running back in the high school football team. And it was always like, I was, I loved it so much that I, as a kid, I needed to find like a way to be on the field more. And yeah. I realized that if I could kick, I could be on the field more. And it just became like an obsession once I started kicking that it was something that every single time I just wanted to make the ball go higher and farther. And it just right. uh, became an obsession that I still have to this day. You yeah, know, it's still right. something I, I love doing every day. Yeah. And, and you, you want to just keep playing, right? There, there's no inkling of, hey, I'm done. I'm ready to, to, to can it, move on. No, you know, I have, I kind of have the luxury of, being in a position that there's not a lot of injuries, but there is injuries, but you know, I don't have to worry too much about my head or worry about, uh, you know, nagging injuries where, you know, a lot of these guys in the NFL play for 12 or 13 years are, are pretty banged up. They don't want to go back to the CFL and yep. make three or 4% of the money they're making in the NFL. It's just, it's not worth it to them. For me, you know, it's all, it's not, it's not about the money and it's not about, you know, getting too beat up in the body. So, if you can yeah. do it, you, you, you might as well. And I, I, love, I still love it. You kind of, I put you in this category. I was thinking about this earlier. And I, I only say this about a, quite a, only a few people. But you, you've done, first of all, now, not that American Ninja Warrior is this highlight of your life, anything like that. But we've talked about that earlier on. You've married a celebrity wife, right, who's killing it. <laughs> yeah, you get, yeah. You're from a small town in Canada. You, and you mentioned it too, that football's that sport that you get done playing early right? You've still got a whole lot of life to live and you have all these residual effects on your body, on you know, concussions and everything else that we're learning about now. But you're kind of in that, that spot where, dude, like, first of all, you're nailing it as far as when it comes to life. I mean, you've played in two Super Bowls, <laughs> all these other things that you're doing. And now you get to, once, not saying you're walking away from football now, but you get to go home, play in your hometown, right? And it's not something about the money you just, you talked about. And then after that, you're in a situation where you don't have to worry about having 16 knee replacements and having the concussions and everything else. Yeah, I mean, I've been so fortunate injury-wise. And, uh, you know, it's obviously different playing the position. But I've just been I've – been, I've been very lucky, very fortunate. And I'm just going to ride this thing out for as long as I can. As you said, now I'm playing in my, back in my hometown. So everything kind of came full circle and uh, loved playing back there. So I'm going I'm to keep on going for as long as I can. Was that – was that everything that you thought it would be like, you know, playing for your, for your hometown team? And did that live up to its expectations? It, it did. It, it was really cool. We had, we had a good season. We almost went all the way, but uh, it, it was pretty cool to be able to play in front of, uh, I have 11 nieces and nephews back home my, my oh. mother's still there. And as I said, two older sisters and a younger brother and for them to be able to come to every single game yeah. and be right there watching uncle John. And then the other, other way around, I had to go and watch all their basketball games and all their, their soccer games. So, it was really cool because, you know, when I was playing the NFL, my niece and nephews, they, they got to probably come to one game a year. Yeah. They, they'd make it up to Seattle or if we had a big playoff game. And after to be able to have them, 
you know, in the stands for every single game was pretty special to me. Was there still, and I've got to ask you this, and, and me being Australian, you know, another, re- another time your name came up a ton was when Michael Dixon got drafted, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, John, everyone knows who you are. You're a household name in Seattle. I'm in Seattle, obviously. Um, and then you've got this Australian kid who just got drafted high. He's a big priority. And so, you know, talking to, talking to Dave Reese and other people, you know, was there any, even though you're going back to, to finish your career playing in your hometown, was there still any kind of, not saying you're bitter about it, but was there any sort of, man, I wish I could have had that one more year in the NFL? Or it was any little, not regrets, but anything that you're still holding on to when it comes to that? Oh, definitely. You know, I, I, I enjoyed my time in Seattle so much that I never wanted, I never wanted to leave. You know, if yeah. I would have played 20 years there, it's still at the very end, I would have been upset that I didn't get to play my 21st, you know? Yeah. That's just the way it was. And, um, you know, there's no, no bitterness towards the Seahawks by any means. You know, Michael Dixon is a, a phenom in the, in the punting world, in, in my opinion. And uh, if I was the... Uh, the GM, I would have drafted him too if he was still available at that spot. So there's no no ill will towards anyone, uh, the Seahawks or Michael Dixon. Just it's uh, it, it's crazy at first to watch someone else walk on the field and do your job that you've been doing yeah. for ten years. Yeah. It's a very it's a very weird feeling. But uh, I have uh, no ill will towards them, and you know, obviously, I wanted to play longer if I could have. But yeah. it uh, you know it, it happened the way it happened, and it's uh, worked out for me in a way. Yeah, when he when he was drafted. Did I mean did the Seahawks call you and say, look, this is the plan? Obviously, because you're you know you're watching the NFL draft. He gets drafted. Did you have a feeling they were they were going to go after him before the draft? I did. I did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I did. Uh, I was pretty close with you know the the, the coaches and uh, the GM as well, and uh, I knew that was the guy they were eyeing. And uh, when he was still on the board, they they called me before they picked, and they uh, I happened to be in a bar in Houston when they called me at about eleven in the morning. Weirdly enough. Um, <laughs> but, anything, you want to, uh, anything you want to talk about with that? <laughs> no, I, I, was, I was in Houston for the weekend to watch baseball with my buddy and his father, and we were we were going to an Astros game at like a one o'clock start. So I think we were in the bar at like ten in the morning. Gotcha. And I think they dropped him around eleven. That, that's so, that's okay, then you're good. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like tequila shots for everyone, right? <laughs> right when they called me, they drafted him. I knew at that point the the writing was kind of on the wall. What was going to happen? And okay, and how did they communicate with you? Did they say like, you know, because you you went into camp with them. It wasn't like, hey, look, he's the guy now. We're gonna move on. Or you you went into camp. So what was what was the plan for you in that initial stage of communication? Did they say we want you to come in? And what what was the plan for you at that stage? Um, yeah, after after they drafted him, I was kind of you know I kind of said to them, you know, what what's what's your plan? What what do you want to do? And they said, you know, we want to we want to keep you and we want you guys to compete in camp. And uh, I was like, okay, you know, but <laughs> at the time I was, I was due to make some pretty good, uh, pretty good money. Right. I was, uh, you know, 30, 36, 35, 36 years old. Yeah. My old Dixon was 21. So I knew that I would have to kind of go into camp and destroy him in order to actually, you know, yeah. if we were anywhere close, they were going to keep him. And when, uh, when I, him and I kicked together for the first time, uh, I thought we were kind of close and I was like, close. It's not, that's not good enough. You know, I think he could, there's no one in the world that could blow him out of the water. So I was just like, I kind of knew what was going to happen. And uh, I kind of, you know, decided to stay on for as long as they'd have me. And, uh, you know, I actually kind of, in a little way, kind of take him under my wing a little bit and kind of teach him what it was going to be like. And, you know, when the time, when the time came, it sucked, obviously. But yeah. uh, I knew it was coming. I feel like that's if you guys are, you know, locker mates. Were you lockers right next to each other? 
No, no. He, I was, uh, I had my, my locker in the good corner that I had for 10 years and he had like the rookie locker in the middle. <laughs> I got, so. I got so we had to, to keep the level, the seniority level there, yeah, you know, okay. had to move the kid right in beside me. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know if they like put him right there and <laughs> under your wing. Okay. Yeah. All right. So it's the same, the same thing as baseball. It's like, all right, you're over and in this corner. Yeah. You into that situation and you party is just like, man, I want to like be really rough on this kid and hard on him. Yeah. And that's just, that's not in my personality, right. even though, you know, it like, enters your head and then, you know, you meet the guy and he's so nice. And, uh, you know, I just, I, I wanted to help him most I, I could and kind of help him, uh, see what it's going to be like playing the NFL because I knew it was going to be his job. You know, it's fun. And, and that's the, the interesting situation you're in because naturally it sounds like to me, and I don't know you that well, but here's a guy that regardless, you're, you want to be that mentor to him. You know, subconsciously, you're sitting there going, hey, do this, do, do that. You guys are around each other all day long. He's a rookie. He's, he's 21 years old. You're in your mid-30s. But on the flip side, you go home, you drive home from the, the facility every day thinking, this dude, I don't want to help him out because <laughs> yeah. you know, he's about to take my job. I love it here, man. Like yeah, This is yeah. where I live. You're basically training your replacement of your dream job. You know, you're kind of, exactly. you know, that's what you do. And, that, that and you're going to put a smile on your face the whole time, you know? Yeah, it, it does go through your mind. But as, as I said, like, I, I knew the, the writing was on the wall and I knew what was going to happen. And it was kind of, we got into the, the preseason games. I knew unless he, unless he fell on his face that uh, the job was going to be his. And he definitely, definitely did not, did not fall on his face. So what, was, what, uh, what makes him so good? Um, just raw talent he's got a crazy okay. amount of raw talent yeah. you know he, was, he hasn't played football for very long and you know i kind of i wa i watched him sometimes as like man it's like he was a little bit out of control and he had some problems but when he got into a ball it was you yeah. know like like nothing i've seen to be honest i mean it was just like it, it was humbling to sit behind him and be like man i've been doing this for 15 years and this this punk kid that's been doing it for three years <laughs> came up and blew me away you know it's like it's like you're, you're, you're throwing 91 mile an hour fastballs and the guy comes behind for the 104. Yeah. You know? you're oh, like, yeah. like, what, hey, trust me. Or in my case, 88 and some dudes throwing 100. Yeah, it's interesting because that's kind of the trend. Well, not the trend back in Australia now, but you know, Australian rules football is massive, obviously, back home. That's a sport. But now these, these kids are starting to get plucked from there saying, hey, look, which, which is crazy because they've they got this um, a guy who runs Pro Kick. That's where Michael Dixon came out of. No. And he, you know, he's... And I'd love to ask him about that process because you're taking kids away from Aussie rules football to say, Hey, you can go play college football. Well, cannot, you know what I mean? Is that really, but now, I mean, they're, they're starting to just pump them out. They're all getting into the, into the college ranks. There was one kid, did you ever meet Joel Whitford? who is was with UW university of Washington. No, no, I've never met him. Okay. Cause I talked to him around the time Michael Dixon was drafted and uh, he was slowly starting to finish up his career with uh, UW as a as a punter. I said, dude, are you trying to get drafted in the NFL? And he's like, do you understand how hard it is as a kicker, as a punter to go into the NFL? Because guys like you who, who once you get established a couple of years in, boom, that's your job for a long time, right? Yeah. And not only that, when you look at most players, they're, they're from Florida State or LSU or Washington or like all these big schools. If you look at punters and kickers, they're from – Regina, Canada. They're from yeah. Scotland. They're from Australia. Yeah. They're from North Dakota State. They're not necessarily like you're competing with a world like I think there's six or seven or whatever different countries represented in that kicking and punting position. Yeah. That's nothing like any other position. And there's only 32 jobs in the world, so it's so tough to uh, to get in, and then it's even tougher to stay in because just there's so few jobs. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and, and that's I remember I was like, oh, okay, because I'm looking at you know Michael Michael Dixon and you know gets drafted, and I'm like, okay, well, usually, yeah. And I, by the way, I'll, I'll tell you, I know nothing about I know football, obviously, but yeah. um, you know Dave Wyman, um, we, we I get on the radio with him once a week, and I keep texting him as the football season's about to start. I, I do stuff on seven ten ESPN. They're heavy football, you know what I mean? Like yeah. obviously because the Seahawks have had so much success. And I, my whole goal is, okay, learn this game. Like, be around people who know this game. And then I've gone back to Australia for Christmas or whatever. Like, you know, once the season kicks off, I'm like, ah, yeah, I've forgotten. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> everyone. yeah it, and it's, it's a game that, uh, unless you grew up with it, that you don't yeah. ever really truly understand it because there's so many yeah. intricacies in it and there's so much going on. And I always, I always laugh, even like fans that, you know, watch games every Sunday. When you talk to them, I'm just like, you know, like 5% of what I know about football, you right. know, because there's, there's so much to know that, uh, but I think that's why people love it because you can, you can know nothing and still be entertained by watching it or you can know everything and get the same value out of it. Do you still keep in touch with Michael Dixon at all? No, I haven't. You know, I, I, uh, the, I think the last time I, I talked to him was right after he made the Pro Bowl uh, last or the year before last, I uh, reached out to him right away to congratulate him, but gotcha. haven't, uh, haven't talked to him since. Yeah, right. And so you basically, so you're spending your time right now. You you have a team up in the Northwest that you own. And again, this goes back to just nailing life. I mean, you're on a, you're on a baseball team. You're obviously a big baseball fan, right? Yeah. So you get to watch these young kids play summer ball, which is awesome. And um, logo is sweet, by the way. By the way, Dave, Dave resets me all the time. He goes, oh, I'm going to get your hat. I'm like, where's my hat, dude? <laughs> oh, I'll send you a hat, man. Is that, shirt you got is that a pickle shirt? Oh, I saw their product placement. This, the this, this is our new team. We're actually starting like a farm league team for the pickles. That's right. Trying to give some junior and community college guys an opportunity to play. And our, Look at uh, that. So our, our main team is called the Portland Pickles. Yeah. And our minor league team is called the Portland Gherkins, which is a little bit. Oh, there pickle. you go. Yeah. That's awesome. And you've had a couple Aussies on that team, haven't you? Yeah, we, ha- we have. We had a, a, a really good pitcher three or four years ago who I think he ended up signing and playing, uh, playing rookie ball somewhere, but uh, I can't, I can't for the life of me recall his name, but uh, I, I was actually surprised by the amount of talent coming out of Australia right now in, in, in baseball. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's weird, man. I mean, it's one of these things and this goes back to even when I signed that these kids, they're good athletes. Um, they they work their asses off, but then they get, then they come into pro ball at, 18 years old, they sign for 50, 100 grand or whatever it is and just get the doors blown off them. You know what I mean? Because they've never seen you know, a, a Dominican a kid from the Dominican Republic throw a 98. You know, right. like they've just never seen it. <laughs> so, right. Yeah, and that's yeah. my biggest thing with these kids is go play college baseball somewhere. Don't sign out of high school unless it's life-changing, life-altering money. Go play college baseball somewhere. Even if it's a small school, get your reps in, get that maturity up, get used to living in the States, everything right. else. But yeah. no, you're right. You signed you signed a pro deal right out of Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Do you regret it not going to college? Oh, I just never had the opportunity to be honest like really? it, I and I would love to it was one of these things everyone's like oh you signed right out of high school you must have been good. I signed for 30,000 bucks. I was trying yeah. like 86 miles an hour going to camp. I'm like man if I just last 2 years I'll be I'll, I'll that that's you know, we're good to go. But then again once I started getting around really good players, you know, when you get around people who are good at something you become a lot better. And I just, I just tried to outwork everyone and I started throwing harder and I had a really good rapport. I was coachable, the whole thing. I was hungry, you know, all those little things. And I, and I made my, it took me six and a half years to get to the big leagues though. Like everyone, 
just assumes you go in and they give you that Mariners fitted baseball cap and boom, they got they got a plan for you. No, they don't. It's hard, man. The minor leagues are rough. It's hard. Yeah, and dude, this is where we almost crossed paths as well as when you were in uh, Appleton, Wisconsin, for the Timber Rattlers. <laughs> yes. I, I signed in Green Bay in 06. Yeah. I think you were there in 04, 05? I was there. Yeah, I was there in um, uh, 2002, 2003. Right. So I, this is really when I, because I, I, I've always loved baseball. I grew up in Canada watching the Blue Jays. This, that's when I fell in love with minor league baseball. When I was in uh, Green Bay for my first offseason, I had, there, was, there wasn't a lot to do in Green Bay, yeah. especially in the offseason when you're working, <laughs> four, you're working four hours a day, four days a week. Yeah. So I just started driving out to uh, Appleton and watching minor really? league games. Every home game I went to, and I just fell in love with minor league baseball. And then, and then fast forward, it was, at the time, it was the, the, low, uh, the low A affiliate of the Mariners. Yeah. Then fast forward three or four years, I'm playing in Seattle, and I get to watch the same guys come up that I just That's watched. so funny. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Well, that was my first real experience. So I, 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 I signed, I went to Arizona, Peoria, and you, you, know, you get to wear the Mariners uniform, so you feel like, okay, I, I feel like I'm somewhat – you know, connected to the team I just signed with, you know, who the scout had told me, you're going to play in the big leagues in a couple of years and then off you go. But the, my first experience of playing minor league baseball was really Appleton, Wisconsin. And I'd never played in that weather, like in that snow, that April was brutal. And I'd never been coming from Australia. I'd never been in, in a small Midwest town like that. You know, I'll tell you a story real quick. Um, we got snowed out the first week. And they just opened up an a that's uh, Applebee's. They just opened up an Outback Steakhouse, right? <laughs> and so the, Gary Gary Thurman, he was the manager. He's like, "Oh, I'm taking all oh, you guys. I'm taking you to Outback Steakhouse." I'm like, oh, "I've never I've never been before in my life." Yeah. I, it's like I refuse. I was this little bitter nineteen year old punk. He's like, "Oh, that's not Australian. I'm not. I don't support that." So sure enough, we all go to this Outback Steakhouse, and they got you know the balloons and the and everything out the front because it's brand new. I walk in, we sit down. And the, and you know, bless their hearts, the, the local <laughs> Appletonians, whatever you call them, they were trying to t- speak with Australian accents. They're trying to like be in the theme. Oh, man. And I'm just angry. I'm sitting there with my arms folded, like, this sucks. And it's like, oh, good day, mates. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, yeah, come Another on, shrimp on the Barbie. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, come on, guys, this is killing me. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, I'll just, can I just get a water, please? Like this, you know, kind of quiet. Like, oh, good accent. That, that sounds really good. Like, a, like I'm trying to get in the theme of the restaurant. I'm like, no, like this is brutal. Get me out of here. So my first like, you know, couple, I was bitter Bob for a couple of weeks. I'm like, I hate this place. You know, yeah. we're making no money. We had the, you know, six of us in a two bedroom apartment, sleeping on these air mattresses, freezing our butts off. And I was just like, oh man. But looking back, it's like, man, it, it was a blast, dude. Like that Timber Rattlers, they, they put it, they put it on good, like good crowds. That whole league's awesome. You know? Yeah, but I'm going to games there in like April when there's still be ice in the stands. Yeah. I remember watching a game there in April. I think there must have been 12 broken bats. This is in a, a low A game. There's 12 broken <laughs> bats. It's so freaking cold. Well, yeah, and that, that's how it was too. They're like, "Oh, hey, pitch inside in April, so you can, you know, break the bats." I'm like, "Oh my god, man!" It was, yeah, it was brutal, brutal. Yeah. So, how did you get into? So, how did that come up with the pickles? Like, because here's the thing, dude. Like, everyone's like, "Oh, he owns a owns this this baseball team." Like, it's just it's got to be a lot of work, right? It has to be time consuming. It's a lot more work than I thought, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's been a it's been a lot of fun, and you know, I kind of got into it. Uh, a bit of as a hobby and yeah. kind of, cause I, I love the Pacific Northwest. I want to kind of have roots there. And, yeah. uh, you know, when I was trying to make the NFL, I was living in Portland for a little bit with my sister who was living there and I just fell in love with that city. So I wanted to kind of get back to Portland 
And, uh, you know, I just thought it was kind of be something fun to do when I, when I retire. Yeah. And as it turns out, it's been a lot of work, but, you know, we kind of <laughs> were lucky enough to kind of take something that was kind of a hobby and turn it into something that's pretty profitable yeah. and, uh, you know, rewarding to do. So, uh, it's definitely been worth it. So it is profitable. Like if you go into this, it is a good, you know, a good business opportunity. It's not something, oh, I just love baseball. So I want to have a team. This is something you can actually, you know, make some money from. Yeah. I mean, you have absolutely razor thin margins because it's, uh, you're not dealing <laughs> with a ton of money, you know, and uh, you know, one, one, one rained out weekend, we have 30 home games can cost you almost your whole profit for the year. So right. it's, you're very, or like this year when it looks like we're, we, we potentially could be gone without the whole season, you know, you're, you're going to lose some money, but uh, it, it is something that can be profitable if run correctly. All right. So if these college kids ever complain, you say, look, dude, one rain out. And that's why you're sleeping <laughs> on that air mattress from Walmart. Yeah. Sorry, champion. Before I drop the story, like when I was trying to make the NFL, I lived in a motel six in Phoenix, Arizona, right. living out of, out of my Honda uh, civic. So I'm like the, 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 the ride, the journey is the fun part, you know? It's Absolutely. Yeah. Once you get there, it's amazing. But you look back and the you realize that the, the journey was really the fun part. So you said when you you said when you're trying to make to the NFL, you said you. So okay, so this wasn't a process where these NFL scouts saw you in the Canadian Football League said, "Boom, off you go." No, it was still. You know, I played two years in Canada, and about halfway through my second year in 2005, I was having a good year, and I started to kind of get attention from some NFL teams, some NFL scouts. But it still was, you know, a long ways to, to get from there to the NFL. And I wanted to continue to train. So when I was done that season in uh, October, or I guess November, I just packed up my car and everything I owned, which was like a bag of clothes, a 14-inch TV, and uh, <laughs> that's, that's a, a bag of footballs. And uh, I moved to uh, Arizona and I lived in a Motel 6 for 27 bucks a night. And Ouch. after a couple months there, I started kind of uh, – I got, I got my first workout with the Green Bay Packers. And kind of once I kind of got my name out there that I was working out and kind of on the waiver wire, then uh, I just started getting a lot of workouts from there and worked out a couple more teams and ended up signing back with Green Bay. Why, why Phoenix? Why, why, was that, why is that the place to go? Um, I just wanted to go somewhere warm that I was uh, semi-familiar with. And right. uh, it's, it's a weird thing. Like where I'm from, everyone where I'm from in Saskatchewan, the kind of the dream is kind of you work your whole life and then when you retire you buy a condo in Phoenix. Right. Everyone in Canada, they just snowbird like directly south from where they are. So right, everyone gotcha. my just goes straight Boom. south to uh to uh, Arizona. Everyone from from Columbia just goes straight down to California and everyone from Ontario just goes to Florida. Gotcha. Uh, I don't know why it is, but I was just kind of familiar with it uh, because of that and uh yeah, I just decided I wanted to kind of go all in and go for it. And was, this wasn't something where you had an agent paying for anything. You basically out of pocket the whole time. Go uh, down there. I, wish, I wish I did. <laughs> but no, uh, I, uh, I was just kind of paying my way. I think it was like 27 bucks a night uh, at this like just divorced type hotel where I think everyone in there was like just divorced and they needed a place to stay. <laughs> and then I was, you know, eating 99 cent tacos and kicking footballs twice a day right. on the outfield of a, of a softball field. So it wasn't, it wasn't glamorous, but you know, as we said, that's all about the journey. And did you have an agent who was like putting the calls in for you or were you calling teams? Yeah, no, I, I've been lucky enough to have the same agent for oh, wow. uh, 16 years now wow. uh since my second year of pro football so we've been together this whole time so uh yeah he, he's always kind of gone to bat for me and he was uh putting in those calls 
Dude, I've had, by the way, I've had six different agents in my career. And it's not because I'm some high maintenance dude. I'm like, oh, you're fired. You didn't get me this deal. I just, yeah. it's been a situation where I'd have a, my career be doing this and then shoop, fall off a cliff. And I'm just like, hello, um, you know, are you still my yeah. agent? And they just won't call me back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, but, uh, you're getting by agents. <laughs> yeah. So I was, and that, that's what I wanted to ask you because I would send out the, the blast email. Like I'd be in an off season. This is after I've been in the big leagues. I'm like, I'm trying to get, trying to get a gig somewhere in AAA to get back to the big leagues. And I would send out to 30 different farm directors. I'd find their emails and send out, Hey, I'm available you know, like I'm like I'm a 17 year old kid trying to get recruited into, into a college. And yeah. it's just me because I'm like, Hey, did no one else, you know, these other, if, if I did have an agent at the time, they've got some dude, you know, making 20 million bucks that they're living off, you know, basically. Right. So I'll just go do this on my, I, I get it. I haven't got time to, but that's how it was, dude. I've, I've gone through, I went through six and I finished up Alan Nero. He's with Octagon. He was the last one. And don't get me wrong. There's a couple of them I have a good relationship with, but you know, when I left the Mariners, there was this bad deal I signed with the Astros and, and all these little things, but that's impressive. Dude. The same agent and the same guy who from the CFL getting you through the motel six, onto the onto the nfl that's 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 loyalty man that's great that's awesome yeah i feel, I feel like we've definitely been loyal to each other and it's uh it, it's worked out is he canadian he's canadian yeah okay and so he has good ties with nfl teams and they all know him respect him and everything yeah he's he's been at it for oh man it's like 40 years or something so he kind of has all the all the connections and a lot of uh most guys that try to make it to the nfl out of canada kind of go with him oh gotcha okay so he, he's that kind of that one-stop not one stop shop, but he's a, he's the the dude. If you're Canadian, it's funny, man. I have I have kids all the time asking me like, oh, hey, um, this agent called me. It's it's such a snaky business, you know. Like, it it's it you know, do you go with a big one or the small one? Yeah, it's it's crazy, man. And everyone's like, oh, you should represent players when you're. I'm like, no chance. I would not be good at it. <laughs> I'd suck at it. Yeah, it's tough on the other side as an agent for like a lot of these minor league guys. I mean, yeah. you're in you're in Wisconsin making two fifty a week, but you're not exactly. They just not making anything. Yeah, hundred so percent. That's why I think they they put so much time into their big guys and yeah, and some of the other guys fall by the wayside. Yeah, and, and that's that's my point too. You got these when I was in Able, everyone's like, "Oh, this agent's calling me this and that." Well, yeah, okay. Now you're going to hound him in a year from now. You're going to hound him for like shoes and batting gloves, and he's just going to be yeah. like, "Dude, like, you know," because there's six levels of this stuff before he gets to the big leagues. Yeah, that's a, that's a that's a good point, but um. Do you and do you feel are you pretty hands on with this with the pickles and and the what's the what's the younger what's the the younger team the, the gherkins gherkins I'm gonna come check it out man come hang uh, out that'd be awesome it's a lot of fun we have a little ballpark that we just pack every night I think That's we have awesome. like uh, 750 permanent seats and we average over well over 2,000 fans a night it's just do you do you feel great. like you've done upgrades or something once you came in and took it over to get those packed houses or is it already in built. I think it was getting built. And then I think that when my partner and I came in, uh, we kind of really focused on the marketing side of it and try right. to make it more of a uh, entertainment forward thing where we yeah. almost saw an entertainment before the baseball and people just have really taken to it and just and awesome. enjoyed kind of that uh, family and that kind of uh, circus like atmosphere almost yeah. at, at the ballpark. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, if Dave, I'm, I'm going to hold you to a hat or a shirt or something, Definitely. dude, like, cause it, it is a sweet logo. And again, I, I'll go on the, um, pickles.com slash store and, and if you got a, there we go. If you got a promo code or something for me, 20% off, that'd be nice. It is. We are quarantined right now. I'm making no money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Hey, speaking oh, of, I wanted to ask you this too. I'm, I'm Australian, so I've got friends obviously over in, in uh, Australia and they do different things. How's Canada doing with the whole quarantine? Like, are they, are they doing the same things they're doing in the States? Are they having better results? What are they, what are they doing up there? Um, I, I can really only speak of like my hometown and my home province. Um, and they're doing, they, they locked it down very quick and very similar. And they've had like a tremendous amount of, of, of success. Uh, like last time I talked to them, there was only in my hometown, which is like two, this over 200,000 people. Uh, they had four cases Oh wow! and only one, and only one of those people were on a ventilator. So, gotcha. I mean, and I, I talked to uh, someone back home, they haven't had a case in the province for two or three days now. Right. Gotcha. So yeah, they've, I got, had, they've had a lot of success with whatever, whatever they did. You there? I think I think the uh, the government just heard, just came into the conversation. Hold on one sec, <laughs> John. You there, Jamie? Yeah. Are you, are you still there? Yeah. I think the government just came in and intercepted the conversation. <laughs> tried to yeah. shut it down. <laughs> we're done. Um, yeah, we're done. Now we were better done. Yeah. Um, but no, well, yeah, it's funny in Australia, they were like, at first they're like, Oh no, we're good. Like everyone's at the beach, whatever, you know, it's hot right. here. So like, it's too hot. Don't worry about it. And then all of a sudden they just went in shutdown mode. Like they were fining people if they weren't going to an essential place. Like you had to be either exercising or going grocery shopping. If you were just hanging out on the side of the street, they're like, Hey, you know, get the hell back. But dude, they've shut it down. Like they're basically gyms are starting to open back up. Schools opening back up, you know? I get on my Zoom sessions with my buddies. They're like, oh, what, what are they doing in the States? You know, and I'm, hey, it's, you know, they, they, they've done a good job. I've got to give it to them in Australia. That's why I was wondering. I always put Canada and Australia in the same kind of category, you know, when it comes yeah. to how they handle business. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I agree with that. Yeah. We, you know, we use Celsius. We use meters. There, there we go. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Things that make sense. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> dude. Just keeping them in tens with the metric system. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Like, come on. Let's go. I mean, US is like, Drop the guard, start using the metric system like yeah, the rest of the world. We're yeah, good for yeah. sure. Well, John, dude, this has been fun, man. And, and I'm going to get down to, to watch some pickles, uh, pickles baseball once they get back going. Are you, have you guys completely shut down this year or what's the, what's the plan? Uh, not yet. Not yet. We're still, we, we're still trying to put forward a, a plan to play in empty, our, our ballpark empty right. and uh, broadcast all the games. So there's some baseball on TV. So gotcha. uh, if we do that, I'm going to have to have you on as a guest. Uh, oh, for uh, sure. Absolutely. I'll, I'll be mm -hmm. there for sure. Perfect. I'll, uh, yeah, sounds good. Well, John, this has been fun, man. I, I, I appreciate your time. And, uh, and uh, yeah, well, um, I, I'm, I'll be wearing my pickles hat proudly for, for sure this uh, summer. I'm going to send you one right away. <laughs> sounds Thank good. Thanks, man. Thanks. Thanks, mate. Bye. Hey guys, hope you enjoyed this episode with John Ryan on the top step. Now, if you haven't already, make sure you click that subscribe button and tell your friends, tell your mates all about these conversations. We've got more baseball players coming up. Next week, we've got Matthew Boyd from the Detroit Tigers, left-handed pitcher. He's a stud. He's killing it right now. He's coming on next week, uh, as well as some other uh, current former players coming up. Cannot wait to share those conversations with you. I've also got a special little thing I've been working hard on from the Grant Balfour episode, so stay tuned for that. I don't want to give too much away. All right, guys, we'll catch you next week on the Top Step. See ya.